Amen. Amen. Lord, we do thank you and praise you that you are indeed ours forever. We're yours forever. No one can ever snatch us out of your hand, Lord, because we belong to you. And Father, such a peace in the sovereignty of God and the faithfulness of who you are and your incredible love for us. Lord, I pray as we go to your word right now, may you be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go ahead and grab a seat. Open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. By the way, if you do give to Bridge of Hope or to Gospel for Asia, know that God is using it mightily. Be absolutely blessed. You know, I'm, I'm a, as a pastor, there's so many people that come to you that want you to support them in missions. There's rarely a week that goes by that we don't get a call or something in the mail. And I've always been a believer that rather than try to support 50 things a little bit, I like to find one or two and support them full speed. And, and that's what we're doing with GFA. And just keep being praying for them and pray for the... If you have missionaries at home and you haven't been praying for them lately, remi- remember to pray for them. These guys are beaten, they're, they're going through such difficulties, they're disowned by their families, they go through such a tough time, we have no idea what persecution is like. Well, we're going to pick up in the second half of 1 Timothy this morning, but by the way of quick review, just remember this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, his son in the faith, if you will. A, young, a man younger than him who he had led to the Lord, who had traveled with him on several missionary journeys, who is now pastoring the church in Ephesus. Paul writes this letter to him to encourage him because at the time there was great difficulty. There were false teachers who had come in. There were fables that he warned him about. He said, you know, when someone's teaching false doctrine, you got to get them out. It was interesting. When I was teaching the pastors, they had a question and answer period. And they're asking me all kinds of questions about, well, how do you get rid of the people? If they come in and start teaching false doctrine, I said, you know, scruff of the neck works usually, right? But the point is that we need to make sure that we know the truth so we can recognize the lie. Amen? And if we don't know the truth, we'll fall for any lie. And Paul's exhorting him, look, when false teachers come in, you need to remove them. He said some will come in teaching fables, the word is muthos, where you get myths, where they're adding to the gospel, and we've got a lot of that going on in the world today. He also encouraged Timothy to stay, that means he wanted to leave. You know, sometimes you look at the people in the Bible and think they were super saints, they're sinners saved by grace just like you and me, and God can do the same thing in us that he did in them, amen? And so often we look at them, and I'm glad that the word of God does not hide the frailties of its heroes, because it encourages me that God can use me too. And so we see here that he's exhorting Timothy, and as he does, he encourages them not only about false teachers, but then he begins to tell them what the church should be about. The real emphasis of 1 Timothy, it's a pastoral epistle for raising up pastors, but it's talking about the character that not only pastors should have, but every believer. Every believer should have this character, and every pastor must have this character. And as we're going to see today, even those who serve in the church must have this character. We get to chapter 2, he encourages them about the house of God being an emphasis on prayer. He talks to them about the role of women in the church. And then when you get to chapter 3, he begins to talk to them about the qualifications of those who serve in ministry. And if you were here a few weeks back when we began this chapter, remember there were 15 qualifications. What I find interesting is that 14 of them spoke of character and only one spoke of calling. And we live in a world today that everybody cares about how charismatic somebody is, how gifted somebody is. 
And you look more for that than we look for character. People will look past character because somebody is, quote, really gifted. And I want to contrast the world today with the kingdom of God. I want to contrast how the world lives and what the world elevates and what we should magnify as believers in Jesus Christ and what the church should really be all about today. Amen? Amen. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now I want to say this. As the church, the body of Christ, we've been called out, we've been set apart, and we've been transformed by God that we might both represent the Lord and reflect Him to a lost and dying world. Here's the truth. When people see you, they ought to see Jesus. Now that's a heavy-duty calling, isn't it? How many of you guys feel like you're doing really good at that at this point? You know, we can always do better, amen? But here's the point. If God calls us to do something, He will enable us to do it. And we are to reflect Him. When people see us, they ought to see Jesus. And when people walk into the church, when they walk into this building, they ought to see Jesus here, amen? In the way that we worship, in the way that we look at the Word of God, in the way that we love each other, in the way that we use our spiritual gifts, and as we're going to see this morning, in the character of the people and in the content of the message. Those are the two things we're going to see that we should find when we come to a church that honors God. But I want to give a little background again, because unlike the world around us, when you look at it close, is the world a mess or what? The world is a train wreck. It really is. It's driven by pride and lust and anger and bitterness and drunkenness and greed and self-centeredness and violence and irreverence and sexual immorality and ungodly behavior. Homes and families are in total chaos. There are parents who will not lead their families spiritually. Children and wives who will not submit. This is a lack of godly authority. It's rebellion and arrogant unwillingness to submit to the Lord. And you know what? Those are the exact opposite qualities that he called the pastors to have. I took every quality he called him a pastor, and all I did was give the opposite of it, and doesn't that describe the world? And it shows if we're living for God and we have godly character, we're going to stand out. And as a church, we should not, we got to stop trying to be like the world, to be more appealing to the world. People were not attracted to Jesus because he was like the world. They came to him because he was different, amen? Radically different. And we ought to be so on fire for Jesus. We ought to be like Moses. We've got to put a veil over our face because we're glowing in the dark for him. Amen? Amen? And you know what? We're coming up on the birth of our Savior. This is a great time to share your faith, isn't it? You know, great opportunities to tell, tell people about the love of God. That he was more than a baby born in a manger, but he's a risen and living Savior who's triumphed over sin and death. And we ought to be excited about that. We ought to be really excited about that. But the world we live in today has families that are falling apart, and it's a result of this fleshly, me-driven you know, society who've all but forgotten about God, living it with the credo of what's in it for me. Divorce and adultery, disrespect, pride, disobedience have all but destroyed God's plan for marriage and family. Marriages are often broken or loveless, and children are hurting and aimless. The homes and the family are breaking down, and it's reflected in our nation. Our nation used to be immoral. Now it's amoral. Immoral means there were morals, just chose to break them. Now there are no more morals. And the only people that give grief about morality are the people that have them. And the sad thing is, again, where the leaders are not about godly character, but they're chosen more based on charisma. Where a political leader can be caught lying and committing adultery only to have his approval rating go up. That's the country we live in today. 
Where power, prestige are more valued than humility and honesty. Where fame before men is more valued than faithfulness to God. Where whales and trees are more valued than unborn babies. That's the country we live in today. In case you didn't know it, abortion is murder. God created them in their mother's womb. And we ought to do everything we can to rescue those children. Amen? Amen. And we as a church support PRC, and that's a great ministry, and be praying for them as well. Where moral relativism has replaced absolute truth. Now it's what's good for you instead of what is absolute truth. There is an absolute truth, by the way. Even though philosophy teachers in college have tried to, oh, there's no absolutes. Yes, there absolutely are absolutes. And there is the greatest absolute of all, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We live in a land where people care more about what an ungodly actor thinks than what the Word of God says. People are buying up magazines about what Brad Pitt thinks. Who cares? Who cares? What does Jesus say? What does the Word of God say? That's the authority in our lives. Amen? And we've fallen so far away. Well, people will vote. This happened while I was gone. Where people will vote to legalize drugs. If you weren't paying attention, they all but legalized marijuana in Santa Cruz. We're now going to be known as not only the, you know, we're going to be known as the pot city now, right? But guess what? That's why we're here, to be salt and light, amen? And by the way, if you think smoking pot's okay with God because it grew out of the ground, no, it's not, amen? Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, it's not wine. It still makes you, don't do that, Amen? Well, it grows out of the ground, man. If God didn't want us to smoke it, He wouldn't have grown it. Well, you know what? Mercury comes out of the ground. Why don't you smoke some of that and see how that works out for you? But we live in a land where we're legalizing drugs and we voted down parental consent for a 13-year-old girl to surgically kill her baby. What kind of mess are we living in? And you know what? At the same time, our God is greater than all of it. And our God is sovereign, and our God is faithful, and our God is in control. And this is a lost world that reflects its ruler, the devil. He is the ruler of this world. You know that, right? Only because God allows it for the moment. But know this, as the world reflects their ruler, you and I ought to be reflecting ours. When, they, when we look at the world, we see the enemy. When people look at us, they ought to see Jesus. And so, if you're a note taker this morning... And I want to say this too. We need to pray for the world we live in. Amen? We need to pray for the nation, for its leaders, its homes, its lost individuals. And while the world is falling apart, we need to live lives that show them the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. By the way, if you think about it, pray for a young man by the name of Mukesh. He's a Hindu man that I sat next to all the way to India. Talk about a divine appointment. You know, you get a captive audience. He was at the window and I was in the aisle. Where's he going? You know what I mean? But we had, a, we had a long conversation. And it was a blessing. But pray for him. He needs Jesus. But you know what? When people come into the church, they need to see something different. They need to see the character in us reflects Christ. And they need to see that the message that we preach points people to Christ and magnifies his name. So if you're a note taker, the title of the message is The Church Reflecting Jesus. Only two points. Reflecting Jesus in the character of the people, and secondly, in the content of the message. When people come in, the character of the people that are here ought to reflect Jesus Christ, and the content of the message ought to be pointing them to Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's pick up in verse 8, the church reflecting Jesus, 
first of all, in the character of the people. And as I said, we looked in the first seven verses, and those were the qualifications for a pastor or an elder. And those are qualifications that all Christians should have and all pastors must have. Now, let's take a look at the role of a deacon. These are the people that serve practically. Where the pastors minister spiritually, the deacons serve practically. Let's begin in verse 8. It says, likewise, deacons. Now, what is a deacon? A deacon, the word diakonos, means servant. That's where it comes from. And just as there were qualifications for those who served spiritually and led spiritually, so too there were for those who would serve practically. The word diakonos also means one who executes commands of another, a servant, an attendant, a minister. They, they took care of the physical needs of the church, freeing up the pastors and elders to devote themselves to the calling as spiritual leaders. Back in Acts 6, I was going to read it, but we don't have time. Look there later, verses 1 through 8. In Acts chapter 6, we know the story that the church is growing like crazy. It's gone from 120 to several thousand, at least 5,000. And in the midst of all that, the pastors, the apostles in a sense, were overwhelmed trying to meet the physical needs of the people. So they raised up seven men, men who were filled with the Holy Spirit. Men who are spiritually mature, and they gave them the physical ministry in the church to oversee. And what's interesting, as you'll know, we'll note this in a little while, that one of those men's name was Stephen, and the others was Philip, and those are significant. Now, the qualifications that are listed in Acts 6 are they must be of good reputation and filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting, when they started doing their work, it says the very next verse in Acts 1, or 6, 8, it says that the Word of God went out and spread like wildfire, basically. Paraphrase. The Word of God began to spread throughout the earth. Now, how did that happen? When everybody was doing what they were called to do. You know what, guys? You may not be called to be a pastor. You may not be called to be the worship leader. You may not be called to oversee the children's ministry. But you know what? You all have a calling. If you're breathing, you're called. Amen? Amen. If you're born again, God's got a calling on your life. And you know when this church is really going to radically impact Santa Cruz County? When every single one of us steps up and says, Lord, here I am. Use me. And we're faithful to use the gifts God's given us. Look out, Santa Cruz. Amen? They can legalize pot and nobody will be smoking it because they'll all be saved. Amen? Amen? And so our God can do that. And He can turn this place right side up and it needs it, doesn't it? But this is exactly why we are here. And note, you'll notice that pastors and deacons do indeed complement one another. Now, let me say this. Without faithful deacons, it would be almost impossible for the pastor to fulfill his calling. And it's real practical. We don't name deacons here. We haven't. I've been praying about whether we should or not. There are many here who certainly serve in that role. And they're the people who come hours before church. They turn the heat on. They set up the chairs, the sound system, the bookstore, the ministry tables, so that the elders can minister in an effective way. If the deacons aren't faithful, you would have come in here this morning. It would be 37 degrees in here. There'd be no chairs, no sound system, no Bibles, no CDs. The light bulbs would all be burnt out. There'd be no words for worship, no bulletins, no bookshop. A lot of you got rides from people, you wouldn't even be here. There'd be no place to park your car. No cool drinks and coffee for the workers. The bathrooms would be filthy. You know what? The deacons make church happen, amen? amen? And so it's important that, again, all of us use our gifts that others might be blessed. 
You're rolling out of the rack, and they've been out here for three hours setting up chairs. Amen? But you know what? That's a faithful calling, and it's a high calling. And I want to make sure you understand this. There are not levels of calling with God. Oh, the pastor's up here. And the... No, it's, you know what? Every calling is equal, and I truly believe when we get to heaven, some of the people that have been serving in anonymity quietly with nobody knowing it are going to be at the front of the line. Why? Because they're faithful without anybody having a clue. And I know God is blessed by that. And we ought to be blessed by it too. It's a mistake to elevate one calling above another. So as each was faithful, the word of God spread, the kingdom was added to, and we're all called to serve. Now a deacon is called to be a leader among the servants. So not everybody who serves is a deacon, but everybody who's a deacon does serve. Just like everybody who teaches the Bible isn't necessarily a pastor, but every pastor must be able to teach the Bible. And so, again, we all ought to be servants. You don't say, well, I don't have my deacon badge. I'm putting no chairs away. That ain't how it works, amen? It's not about what somebody calls you. It's about what God's called you to do, amen? So the next few verses now describe the character of those called to be deacons. It says they must be reverent. The word reverent was also used in describing a pastor. He shows proper respect to both God and to man. He takes seriously what he does. He does it as unto the Lord. He's not, and it could also be she's not, casual about it. They are faithful to their calling. Warren Wiersbe says this, A deacon should be one who is worthy of respect, a man of godly character, worth imitating, one who is faithful to his office, who doesn't just fill it. You know, calling is often revealed not just in serving, but how you serve. I'm in my turn again. Uh, don't do it. Then just don't do it, please. Just let it go by. You know what I mean? Mind the children's ministry. Don't. You know what? I want every person ministering to our kids to be called by God to do it. Every single one of them. Do, the, do, do eight five-year-olds deserve as much preparation in a message as 5,000 adults? What's the answer? You better believe it. And you know what? We want people who are called and gifted and devoted and dedicated. I, my heart would be that everybody, they're praying for the kids in their class all week. Because I'm praying for you all week. Hope you're praying for me. Some of you, I need it, okay? But the point is, we ought to be praying for our mission field by name, amen? And we need to see people who are called and are passionate about what God has called them to do. It ought to be a get-to and not a have-to. And so they must be reverent, not only respecting and honoring the Lord, but worthy of our respect. Then it says this, not double-tongued. As one who ministers to the physical needs within the body, they're going to know the struggles within the body. You know, I praise God, He kind of gives me a spiritual amnesia. He really does. Because people will come in and they're, you know, and we'll talk about some, and I, you know, it's almost like a month later, I just forget. And I'm just kind of glad. Because, you know, we're all a mess. We need Jesus, Amen. And I'm just kind of glad that just go. But here's the point. Can you imagine if somebody's ministering to the physical needs of the church, he's going to know when people are struggling. He's going to know maybe a husband has run off and we're ministering to a wife and taking care of her physical needs. Imagine if he was double-tongued. Imagine if he was a gossip. Imagine if he was, you know, someone who went around and told tales. He would be doing more harm to the ministry than he would be doing good. And it says a qualification for Someone who serves in that ministry is they must not be double-tongued. But as I said at the beginning, these are qualifications for every Christian. None of us ought to be double-tongued, amen? 
You don't say one thing to one person and something else to somebody else. And that's really what it means in its clearest sense. Not a gossip. Doesn't talk about the hardships of others. You can depend on what this person says. Then it says, not given too much wine. Every time we go over these verses, people squirm. Okay, now here, guys. Oh, this is not much wine. Much. Where much is in there. So I have some wine. It's not much wine. Okay, Pastor Dave's opinion, okay? Pastor Dave's opinion. Let me qualify. Make sure stand over. Pastor Dave's opinion, all right? I don't think Christians should drink alcohol. Period. What good comes of it? Now, we'll say, well, in the Bible, he told Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach. Okay, for medicinal purposes, they gave him some wine. They didn't have NyQuil back then, okay? (laughs) So if you need to drink some NyQuil that has a little alcohol in it because you're sick, have at it. But don't make it a refreshment, amen? (laughs) Medicine, okay, refreshment, not so much. My opinion, all right? You can disagree with me. You'd be wrong. You can disagree with me. But the point is, think about how many people struggle with alcohol. And think about if nothing else, your liberty is causing others to struggle. Pastor Bill and I were in the airport. And the only place to eat at the meal was in the middle of the night was kind of a bar restaurant. We made sure we got the very outside table in the very far corner of the restaurant portion. Even though we were half the world. Because we didn't want anybody to be stumbled by seeing two pastors. We're, you know, we're drinking Cokes. But still, you don't want to give the appearance of evil. Amen? And it says, this person is not given to much wine. You know, be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I got the Holy Spirit, I don't need the spirits. Amen? Got the Holy Spirit. Way better. Amen? No hangover with the Holy Spirit. No puking in the gutter with the Holy Spirit. No DUIs with the Holy Spirit. No driving your car into trees with the Holy Spirit. Amen? None of that happened. No broken families. No jail time. No running over people, right? Amen? So not given to much wine. I guess I made that pretty clear. All right, now. Not greedy for money. Now, again, I think this is significant because it's important. These guys were handling the funds of the church. And if you had a guy who was greedy handling the funds of the church, you got Judas, right? Judas had the money bag. And so it's important that those who are handling the church finances be not greedy for money. But you know what? This is a quality for every believer. Because if you're greedy for money, you can't be too passionate about God. Because that's going to take your focus and your eyes off of Him. And it might even sound really good, but I'm just doing this for the Lord. And I'm just, you know. If you're spending more time chasing the buck than you are in the, you know, seek the Lord. Now, you got to work. You should work. A man who doesn't work shall not eat, the Bible says. But there needs to be, we need to make sure God's the priority. And we need to see our workplace as our mission field. When you go to work, you're in your mission field. And God's got you there by divine appointment. And it's a lot more than just your pursuit of wealth. Faithfully distributing God's resources to those in need. They don't rationalize why it should be theirs. You know what? I'm just going to be real open with you. I know several pastors who've been disqualified from ministry because they somehow rationalized in their own mind that they were, had full-time jobs, they were working, and that because they were working, it was okay to take a few hundred bucks here and there to pay for some things. 
uh, not so much. The point is that certainly if he had gone to those and, and they hired him and they paid him, that's one thing. It's another thing. And uh, it's sad. I've seen guys who are in ministry gifted, disqualified. It's one of the reasons I rarely, if ever, write a check for anything around here. You'll never see me counting the tithes. You know why? I just want to be as far away from it as I possibly can. Let the other guys do that. I don't want to touch it. Why? You know, I don't even know what you guys give or don't give. And I'm kind of glad. Maybe some of you are really glad. But, <laughs> but the point is, I don't know because I don't want to prejudge anybody or anything, right? I just leave that over there and you guys take care of it. And so those who are called to serve are not greedy for money. And then it says this. And I think this is a good word for all of us to probably underline. And we'll get to that in a moment. Now it says, holding the mystery of faith. Holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. Now what in the world does that mean? Holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. The word mystery, mysterion in Greek, is a truth once hidden but now revealed by God. What was the truth that was hidden? Jesus is the Messiah. The truth that the Old Testament saints did not know is that Jesus is coming. They knew the Messiah was coming. But now the truth has been revealed that Jesus indeed is the Messiah. The lost world today doesn't understand. The lost world is blind to the truth of the gospel. A deacon, though not called to teach, must be a man of the word. i got to be a man of the word to set up chairs? Yes, you do. Now, again, I'm not saying everyone who sets up chairs has to be a deacon or you have to go through some... This is why I, I hesitate to even qualify them or name them. We may do it at some point. I'm just praying about it. But at this point, it's important that we know that godly character does matter. No matter what ministry we're in, and knowing the Word of God is important, isn't it? Because the way we handle everything ought to be faithful to the Word of God. You know, my, I grew up in a denomination. My dad was a pastor, and there were these, the deacon board. That's probably why I don't like naming deacons, because deacon boards just make me sick. Again, it, shooting straight, there's a shocker, right? But here's the point. The deacon board ran the church, which, first of all, is not biblical. A, and, and, but what they would do is they went around with their rules. You know, the denomination rules. And they would walk around all the time. Well, the denomination rule says this. Well you, well, you can't do that. It says this. Well, you can't do that. It says this. I'd last about four minutes. I would never make it. And you know what? At some point, they're so caught up in their rules, they've forgotten about the word. And that's why it says here the deacon must know the word of God. Forget about the rules. Know the word of God. You won't need any rules. Let the word of God be the rules. Let the word of God be the authority. You know, we don't have a whole lot of rules around here. You know why? We got, we got the Bible. We got 66 books full of it, amen? Of the grace of God, the ministry of God, the word of God. That's the authority and that's what we follow. Better to know the word of God. So a deacon must be able to manage the physical affairs of the church, but do it in the light of the word of God, not the rules of men. A Christian should live every aspect of his life in light of God's word. A man who doesn't know the word of God is not spiritually mature. And if, you're, if you don't grow in your faith, and pray for those brothers in India. Think about this. I was blown away. I didn't realize this. 
most of these guys come from Hindu backgrounds. They get saved, their family disowns them. They literally, many of them, have funerals for them and act like they're dead and they don't exist anymore. Now you're 17, 16, 15. Your parents have disowned you. Many of them, as Christians, feel the call of God. They go straight to Bible college at 16 years old. Three years later, when they understand, when they go to Bible college, they don't know who Adam and Eve are. Daniel, they don't know anything. And they graduate from Bible college, now they're 19 or 20, and they're sent out to an unreached people group to, pre to preach the gospel with great boldness, risking their lives. Now the burden that I have is that they have great zeal, great passion, they're reaching people for Christ, but they don't have a whole lot of training. Because of those of us who've grown up in the church, and I made this statement, I said, my 15-year-old son knows more of the Bible than any of the guys that I had taught in that Bible college. But he's grown up with 15 years of it. He's gone to Christian school. I mean, we're, it's, it's embedded in us. But you know what? Pray for these brothers. And I said, you know, you need to, we need to have continued follow-up discipleship of these guys. And I was exhorting them, teach through the Bible. I said, you know what? You might be one week ahead of your people. You know, you study the book of Mark all week. You'll be one week ahead. You can teach to them on Sunday. And then I've got to do Mark 2 now, right? So I can be one week ahead. God will be faithful. Pray for them. But it says that he cannot serve if he is spiritually mature. He's got to do everything in the light of the word of God, holding to the mystery with a pure conscience. He not only knows the word of God, but he walks it. How can you hold the word of God with a pure conscience? You can't unless you're walking in it. Amen? So he knows it, but he lives it. And God has called us to do that. Belief should impact our behavior. Look at verse 10. But let, let these also first be tested. These men or women who are called, and just like the pastors, the men who are called, nothing happens overnight, and it sh they should be tested over time. You know, a lot of people come on with a great flash and burn out. And those who are truly called by God will continue to be faithful over time. Because you know what? In time, you're going to get tested, aren't you? And a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And if you haven't been able to endure the tests and difficulties and the trials of life over time, the chances are, you know what, we don't know how you're going to respond. And the last thing you want to do, the worst thing you can do, the way you can destroy somebody, is put them in a position of authority too soon. I'd rather wait two years too long than put them in two days too soon. People are getting all frustrated, but that's okay. And the point is, they just keep serving anyway. Just keep being faithful anyway. But he says, let them first be tested. Of pastors, it says, not a novice. And the same is true who have any authority in the church. If God calls you, he will sustain you over time. You won't be a flash in the pan. And you know what? I love the examples in Scripture. Because when you look in the Word of God, these guys were tested that were used mightily. Joseph, 13 years as a slave, then became prince. Moses, 40 years shepherding sheep, and then was a deliverer. Joshua was Moses' servant before he became a successor. Paul was a tent maker while he was out ministering to people along with all the trials he went through. And even Jesus came as a servant and labored as a carpenter. you got to be a servant before you can be a ruler. Amen? Before you're going to be put in a position of authority, you need to learn to be in a position of submission. Then it says this, Also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Now, we talked about this with a pastor. Blameless doesn't mean sinless or nobody'd be called. Amen? Amen? Blameless means 
The word actually means nothing to take a hold upon. Without accusation, nobody could rightfully stand up and accuse him of a grievous sin. A man who is living a godly set-apart life. A, a character quality that every Christian should have. Living a life set apart unto the Lord. I know that sometimes people hear this stuff and they go, that's legalistic. No, it's not. Jesus said, be holy for I am holy. Why does the Lord direct us with his word? Because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. Amen? Too often we think, oh, God's trying to keep me from having fun. No, he's keeping you from harm. Because he's a loving and gracious God. Now, verse 11. Likewise, their wives must be reverent. Now, it's interesting, and there's some debate about this, and I'll give you both sides because I have an opinion. I'll share that with you. But the word for wives here is women. And the word there in your Bible is in italics. So it could say, likewise, women must be reverent. So some people believe this is a reference to female deacons. And it could be. I don't know for sure. I, many believe it's a reference to the wives of the deacons only because of the following verse talking about the husbands being, it goes back to the men again, speaking about them being husbands of one wife. But in either case, God has called women to serve in the church as well. I don't want you to, women should never think that God doesn't have a calling on your life. Your calling is as high as any man on this planet. And I told you before, the calling to be a mom is a great and a high calling. And whatever God has called you to do in the body of Christ, be faithful to that. Notice this, though, and, and look later. In Romans 16, there's a woman named Phoebe who serves as a deacon. So there are female deacons in Scripture. And the body of Christ needs faithful women who serve. Amen? Amen? Amen. 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 All right. Now, it says this must be reverent. So we talked about reverent. Someone who has a respect for God, a respect for others, and lives a life that is respectable, showing proper respect to God and to man. Then it says, not slanderers. The word for slander, believe it or not, it's diabolos. Who do, what do you think that is? Devil. Not devils. That's what it means. Not slanderers, not devils. Who's the false accuser of the brethren? The devil. And the, this access to the sufferings and difficulty of others would be an opportunity for them to be a false accuser, to be destructive, to be a gossip, to slander. And he says the, their wives must also be reverent and not slanderers. Then it says temperate. And this is a great word. Calm, deliberate, well-balanced, not driven to extremes. As Christians, we should not be driven to extremes. We, know, we should not be the double-minded man tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We shouldn't be blown off course easy. You know, Christians ought to be about like this. Because it's God always in control. No matter what happens. You win the lottery, God's in control. Well, you shouldn't be playing the lottery. But if you, you, you inherited a bunch of money, God's in control. And if you, you get diagnosed with cancer, God's in control. And you know, there's nothing the world can do to you. What's the, the worst thing the world can do to you is the best thing that could happen to you. Amen? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, so bring it on. Amen? And so here's the point. That we should be temperate. And their wives should be temperate. And so a godly man, depending on how you translate the, that verse, the beginning portion, their wives should be temperate. It's a reflection on how the man leads in his home. Often you can tell how a man's doing by looking at his family. And again, a man who doesn't rule his own house, how can he rule in the church? It says in verse, the rest of the verse, faithful in all things. 
So she's steadfast, she's not moody, she's faithful in all things to her husband, to her family, to her church, to her Savior, to her calling. She's a woman you can depend on. Then it says, let deacons be husbands of one wife. We talked about this. Again, it doesn't mean he has to be married. Who's writing this? Paul. Was Paul married when he wrote this? No. And again, I've talked about this before, so I won't go into depth, but Paul, many people believe, was married because a Pharisee, a requirement to be a Pharisee is you had to be married. Now, it doesn't talk about Paul being married, and so many people believe, we don't know for sure, that when Paul got saved, his wife said, see ya. And that's possible. We don't know. It's all supposition. But the point is, he's not married when he's writing this. And Paul's an apostle. And so it doesn't mean you have to be married. But what it, and it doesn't mean he can't have been widowed or have gone through a biblical divorce. Now, let me say this. Some people say, if you've, and I have commentators that I respect that say, if you've ever been divorced, you can never serve in ministry. I don't believe that. I believe our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. And I believe especially, so if your spouse leaves you, just leaves you, there's biblical grounds, sexual immorality and abandonment by an unbeliever. So if the unbeliever leaves you and departs and won't come back, when you're 21 years old, you're telling me you can never serve in the church the rest of your life? I don't believe that. Again, I believe it needs to be a biblical divorce. And again, if you get divorced and it's not a biblical divorce, you're not really divorced anyway. You understand that, right? You need to go back and be reconciled to your spouse. That's what the Bible says, and we believe that, all right? But I do believe that sometimes there's such a heavy burden put on people, you know, And again, if that were true, again, taken literally, that would mean if your wife died, you could never serve. My wife gets here by, I can never serve God then. Oh, well, game over. I just don't believe that. Pastor Don used to say, going through this list, he used to say, you know, if if you don't like your wife, don't divorce her, shoot her, because then you could still be a pastor. (laughs) Don't anybody take that for literal, all right? Well, that band are doing me, and you and that, boom, that's it. You know, don't do that. But the point I'm making, how ludicrous is that? You understand? That's just ludicrous. But So what does it really mean? It means he's a one-woman man. It means he loves his wife. He's not flirting with other women. It's not, his eyes aren't wandering. And he's not looking at pornography. Because that is looking at somebody else who's not your wife. Amen? He's a one Woman, man, devoted to his wife, doesn't have an eye for the ladies. The area of his life is settled. He's about one woman, his wife. And then it says this. Ruling their children and their own houses well. This godly leader demonstrates his leadership ability first in his own home. And it doesn't mean he and his wife never have a disagreement or everyone would be disqualified. Amen? Well, not me. I've never had a disagreement with my... Well, liar now, on top of that. <laughs> but the truth is, we're going to have struggles, okay? But what it's talking about, or that your children won't ever rebel, but that the Word of God is the standard through which all things are resolved in your home. When difficulties do come, the Word of God is the standard. When difficulties do come, they don't go on and on. You come to a place of brokenness and, and repentance with your spouse. As far as your children, my theme verse for my family, it's probably for many families, Joshua 24, 15, which says, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And everything we do should be run through that filter, amen? 
And that's a sign of one who's been called by God as his home is in order. He leads and guides and nurtures his family. He's a priest in his household. And guys, as godly parents, I don't have time to go into it, but you know what? We must be willing to discipline our children. If you, the Bible says if you don't discipline your child, you hate them. That's what the Bible says. You're not doing them any favors by not disciplining them. You know what? Those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. Right? Because He knows what's best for you and He loves you. He's going to discipline you sometimes. And we need it, don't we? Lord, love me enough to drag me back where I belong sometimes. Lord, love me enough to grab me by the ear and just bring me home. Amen? And the same needs to be true sometimes for our kids when they're out the wrong place. An ear grab once in a while is a good thing, all right? Now, when we discipline, we need to do it in love. Always. Your kids ought to know you love them. They ought to know you die for them. And then lastly, it says, ruling his own house, their own house as well. For those who have, now listen to this. For those who have served well as deacons, obtained for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, I love this. The result of being a faithful servant is good standing and great boldness. And the proof of that is found in Stephen and Philip. Stephen and Philip were waiting tables, were faithful servants. You get to Acts 7, and what is Stephen doing? He's boldly preaching the gospel, and he is the first martyr of Christianity. Philip becomes the first man actually called an evangelist in the Bible. Now, he started off where? Waiting tables. Being faithful. And as he was faithful in those things, God gave him even greater things to do. Good standing in the body of Christ means a platform or position from which you can influence others. As you serve faithfully in what may seem to you like a menial task, God sees all that you've done, even in secret, and he will reward you openly. I also believe it speaks of the view of other believers have for you. Can I tell you, and you're going to, I'm telling you right now, I've been brought to tears many times just by how some of you serve. Just blesses me. And I think, I'm a sinful man. How much much more must have blessed God? I think, man, I respect that guy. I respect that woman. What a faithful servant. Doing something nobody else sees. Man, that just grips my heart. Because I know they're doing it for the Lord. And it encourages me as a pastor because maybe a few years ago they weren't even saved. And they've given their lives to Christ. And it's such a sign of a maturing believer. And it grips my heart and I know it grips God's heart even more. They have great boldness in the faith. And again, it's interesting how how I'm talking to people here who serve a lot and they're always sharing their faith too. And before they served, they weren't sharing their faith much. It's amazing how when you get your eyes off of you and start serving God everything changes as far as your priorities are concerned. And so can I encourage you, if you want to be bolder in your faith, start serving the Lord more. Amen? As we live out our faith and lives of godly character, the result is a greater boldness to share our faith. Now, we, start, we had a little missions thing, so I'm going to finish the chapter, okay? Amen? Where are you going? Amen? All right. You could leave, I guess, but then I'll shame you openly in front of everyone. All right. So, the church reflecting Jesus in the character of the people. Not only to hear Jesus in our words, but see Him in our actions. When people walk in here, they ought to see Jesus. And when they see us at work, they ought to see Jesus. And when they see us in our neighborhood, they ought to see Jesus. And if they put a spy cam in our house, and we didn't even know it was there, they ought to see Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
But not only should they see Jesus in our character when they come into the church, but lastly, these last three verses, it also ought to be in the content of the message. Look at verse 14. These things I write to you, though I have hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. He had hoped to come, but he knew that if he didn't get there, this was significant, so he had written it down and sent it ahead, knowing he may not make it, and said, if I don't come, this is so important, you need to hear. And here's the whole crux of 1 Timothy, where he says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Now, the lessons we're going to learn in this last verse and a half is something every church needs to hear. He says, I'm telling you how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. He's telling Timothy, the pastor in Ephesus, this is what the church ought to look like. Now, first of all, the church is the house of God. Amen? Amen. When we come in here on Sunday and Wednesday, this is a gymnasium, but more importantly, it's the house of God. When we walk in those doors, we're coming to God's house. And we're coming to God's house to worship God. And to give Him glory and honor and praise. Together to worship Him. To honor His name. Where He alone is the central focus. And when we come here, we're coming to meet with our Lord, our God, and our Savior, and our King. And while my, while my heart is that we all should feel welcome here, it doesn't mean we should come in here without reverence, awe, and wonder for what takes place here. Amen? Amen. Let me ask you a question. If God invited you to His house, I'm going to get in trouble. If God invited you to his house, would you show up on time? Oh, I didn't hear any. What was that? Echo, hello. <laughs> if God invited you to his house, would you show up on time? Yes. God invites you to his house every Sunday and every Wednesday. Should we not be showing up on time? What's the answer? Yes. We show up to the movies early enough to get popcorn and a good seat. <laughs> Amen? Amen? But when it comes to the Lord, well, I'll get there to the fourth worship song. <laughs> That's not right, is it? We need to make God the priority. This is God's house. And when we get here, shouldn't we have some reverence for the Lord while we're here? When we're worshiping the Lord, should we be running around? No. Let's stop, be still, and focus on Him. I guarantee if the Lord was at your house, you wouldn't be running around talking to other people while He's... Amen? You wouldn't be distracting people. Now, again, if you've been coming here any length of time, this is the text right now, all right? And because I love you guys, I'm shooting straight with you. But as the body of Christ, we need to have more reverence for God when we come into his house. Amen? Then it says, which is the church of the living God. The living God. The church of the living God. The ecclesia. We're the called out ones. We're the called out ones come to meet with the creator of the universe. That's the church. We come together to meet with the creator of the universe. Something supernatural happens every time we get together. You know why? Because God is here. He's here. How awesome is that? The risen and living Savior is in our midst in the person of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, the pillar and the ground of truth. Now, the local church itself is not the truth. It's the pillar of the truth, which means that the church should be holding up the truth. Amen? Amen? That's why we're, we're called to hold up the truth. How do we hold up the truth? First of all, who is the truth? Jesus, Jesus John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Who's the truth? Jesus. 
And the church is to be holding up the truth. How does the church reflect Jesus? Not only in the character of the people, but even more importantly, in the content of the message. And the local church reflects Jesus when it magnifies the Word of God. Every church ought to be teaching the Word of God every time they meet. Amen? And I'm amazed how people are watering down the Bible and getting away from it and teaching everything but. It's not a man-centered gospel. It's a Christ-centered gospel. It's not preaching to your felt needs. Well, let's do a survey and find out what people need. Well, I need this. So preach about what I need. Let's talk about seven steps to financial freedom or three ways to overcome your anger. You know what's amazing? If you just teach through the Bible, it handles all that stuff. Amen? And instead of trying to preach to something that's going to be soft-soaped and not offend anybody, we need to be offended because we're sinners in need of a Savior. If I go to a church I'm not getting convicted, I'm not going anymore. Because, you know what, without conviction, there's going to be no conversion. Without conviction, there's going to be no transformation. And so what we see here is the local church reflects Jesus when it holds up the truth. And I'm, I, my heart is broken. Pastors are called to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And how do they do that? By teaching the whole counsel of God. And if you're teaching topics, you'll never get through the whole impossible. It won't happen. And, I went, and again, I'm praying. Now, I believe the word of God is under attack and needs to be lifted up, not just at church, but in Christian schools, Christian colleges, Christian homes. Amen? Amen. We need to lift up the truth wherever we go. What's the local church known for? Is it great music? We've got, a, we've got a gifted worship team. Amen. But you know what? I pray we're not known for music. And you know what? It's not a great facility. We don't have to worry about that. It shouldn't be known for a charismatic pastor either. It shouldn't be known for great programs. Not that these things are necessarily bad, but it's what the church should be known for, for its primary focus, which is lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. People ought to walk out of here more in love with Jesus than the way they came. They ought to know that it's all about him and it's not about any man. And the only way that's going to happen is if we teach the word of God without compromise and we don't water it down and we hold up the truth and magnify it higher than being popular with men. And that's what God has called the local church to do. Jesus is the foundation. He's the church cornerstone. And we lift him up. Interesting, and we're almost done. But in Ephesus, they had a temple to Diana that had 127 columns, pillars. that were 57 feet high, and he's telling them, that's not the pillar, you're the pillar. That's not the pillar, you are lifting up the truth. Now notice what it says, and watch what it says about the Lord here. I love this part. This is great stuff. It says in verse 16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Without controversy. That doesn't seem right, does it? Is there controversy about who God is? Yes, there is in the world, but with those of us who know God, there's no controversy. And the only people that have a controversy are spiritually blind and foolish. Amen? So in God, there's no controversy. There is only one God. Amen? And His name is Jesus. That's it. He is God. And there is no controversy about who the true and living God is and again a formerly unknown truth that's now been revealed and look what it says about him look at these six characteristics and i love this because this is what we ought to be saying about our savior god was manifested in the flesh god was manifested in the flesh almighty god came down and kept his deity but took on humanity and came to earth you know what nobody else can do that 
Only our God. Amen? None of the gods of this world even claim to have done that. Jesus is fully God, the second part of the Trinity. He added humanity to his deity, and he came to earth. Isaiah 9, 6 calls the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Who's that? It's Jesus. So not only was he manifested in the flesh, he was justified in the spirit. Now, wait a minute. Jesus had to be justified just as if he had never sinned? No, Jesus was already justified when he got here. The Holy Spirit just confirmed it. Amen? And when did that happen? When Jesus was baptized. The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. God the Father opened up the sky and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Amen? And right there you have the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all there at one time. Does that give you a headache? It ought to. Because any God you can understand is not a God good enough to worship. Amen? And our God is way greater than we could ever comprehend because we got a finite mind trying to understand an infinite God. Our God's, I'm so glad. We get to heaven, we're not going to go, oh, really? That all? We're not going to do that. We're going to get there and go, man, if I had any idea he was this great, I would have prayed more. Amen? If I had a clue that heaven was this incredible, I would have witnessed more to people who weren't going. We're going to get to heaven, we're going to be blown away. And he was justified in the Spirit, seen by angels. Now, I like this. The ministry of Jesus is of great interest to angelic beings. They both ministered to Jesus while he was on the earth. And you know what? I love this because I really believe that the angels are watching us now. Because for them, this is as good as it gets. Seeing what the Holy Spirit is doing upon the earth excites them. And when, when the Lord was on the earth, it excited them. And you know what's incredible to me? He's hanging, they're hanging out with us right now, but they're not going to the philosophical meetings at the college. Amen? Because to them, this is what's great. What God is doing. And Jesus was seen by angels. They testified of his resurrection. They strengthened him upon the cross. They ministered to him when he was being tempted by Satan. And the angels are still interested in what God is doing on the earth today. And then it says, preached among the Gentile. Notice, preached among the Gentiles. It doesn't say watered down among the Gentiles. It doesn't say a gospel that fit into their lifestyle among the Gentiles. It was preached with great boldness. Did you get saved because somebody watered down the truth to the point where it was acceptable? Or did you finally come to the realization you were a sinner in desperate need of a Savior and you knew that Jesus was the answer? And the only way you're going to know that is if someone's bold enough to share the truth with you. God's way of creating faith in a man's heart is not by pictures, music, symbols, or programs, but by the hearing of the Word of God. Romans 10, 17, our theme verse at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz is faith comes by hearing and hearing by word of God. And that's what transforms lives. It says there, believed on in the world through the bold and faithful proclamation of his word. Jesus was believed on in the world. Compare other gods to this list and see how they're doing. Not working out so much. Amen. Lastly, received up in glory. Jesus ascended back into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes for us, and He's coming back. Amen? And aren't you glad? He's ascended only after His work was finished. He stayed here until His work was done, and the Holy Spirit is going to stay here until His work is done. And His work will be done when that last person is saved before the rapture of the church, and we're out of here. And maybe that person's in the room this morning. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
I can't wait to see him. One day soon, we'll all see him with an unveiled face and we will behold his glory. Does that blow you away? The focus of the message that the church should be teaching is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Lifting up the truth, magnifying it, teaching it with great boldness, and we ought to be excited about it because there's nothing else this world has to offer that can touch it. Amen? Amen? People get excited about stuff that just doesn't matter. How much more should we be excited about the thing that does matter? So in closing, the church that re- church reflecting Jesus, how does it do it? In the character of the people, walking in brokenness, humility, and holiness. When people see us, they ought to see Jesus. And then secondly, in the content of the message, not focused on man's needs, but magnifying the name of Jesus Christ. Will people come into the church or in contact with us? They ought to see Jesus. Amen? Let's close a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship and honor your name. You are a great and an awesome God. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to leave heaven, to come down to earth. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son. We thank you, Lord, for coming. And, Lord, we thank you that you would rather die than live without us. Lord, that you lived a sinless, perfect, holy life, the perfect example for us. And then, Lord, you went to the cross out of love for us. And you paid a price that we could not pay. And you redeemed us. We were lost, Lord. And you redeemed us. You saved us. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. Not because we're good, but because you're great. And Lord, as we go to this time of communion, may we never take it for granted. Lord, as we look at the elements, Lord, I pray it would be a time of reflecting back, looking back to the cross of Calvary, remembering what you did for us on the cross. May we never take it for granted. Lord, I pray also as we look, not only look back, we look within our own lives even now. Lord, if we're living lives that are hypocritical, Lord, you already know. And Lord, I pray this would be a time of getting right before you, a time of repentance and restoration before the creator of the universe. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care. And we thank you, Lord, that you can hear us when we pray. And then, Father, I pray not only should we look back to the cross and look within, but Lord, may we look forward to the time, as it says in your word, that we will take this with you in heaven. Lord, there's a time coming when we'll be around your throne and we'll Lord, we'll we'll do this not in remembrance of what you have done, but Lord, looking forward again, just realizing, Lord, that it's all been taken care of. The price has been paid, and because of it, we can go to heaven. And so, Father, we ask that you would take this time, that you'd be glorified in it. And Lord, I know, Lord, just help us to be still and know that you're God. Come to you even now with a heart of reverence as we reflect upon the cross of Calvary and your love for us. Lord, we love you, we praise you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, we're going to go into a time of communion now. If you do need to go to the restroom or anything, you can.